The Time Traveling Robots in Space is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash galactic netcasts. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. The Time Traveling Robots in Space Podcast starts now. It is Wednesday, July 18th, the year of our Lord 2012, and welcome to another Galactic Netcast. This is the Time Traveling Robots in Space number 39. From Wausau, Wisconsin, I'm Dave Nelson, alongside Glendale, California's shining star, Paul Swickard. Mr. Dave Nelson. So I was going along the street. I was taking a walk with my wife, and we came across a bus station in Glendale. And there was a sign there saying that there was nobody allowed. No, the bus was not coming today. And the reason they said that the bus was not coming today was due to a quote-unquote infestation. Whoa. They did not specify as to what this infestation was, but there you go. And it occurred to me, you know, as I w- we continued to walk, that this could not be an infestation of simply one bus. It would have had to have been an infestation of the whole line of buses if not a single bus was coming that day. So, uh, yeah, that's my Glendale story. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I think we wow. should continue doing this. I think there should be a Glendale, Glendale story every week, if possible. That could be this podcast's thing. I have plenty of material. All right. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, let's head, let's head southeast from where you are to um, Denton, Texas. It's the sweetheart of Denton, Texas, Miss Anessa Moyens. How you doing, Anessa? <laughs> I am a peachy keen jelly bean. How are you, Dave? <laughs> I like that. And that's why she's the sweetheart. <laughs> so no bus infestations in denton today no unless you count the college students that ride to and from campus each and every day and you should so yes our buses are infested all the time you're welcome dcta <laughs> with flesh-eating college students <laughs> Soul-sucking, uh, I don't know, however you want to refer to that. Soul-sucking. That's, that's probably more closer to the truth. It's going to come back to haunt me, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so let's talk, about, okay. let's talk about time travel robots in space. Uh, how about we do that? Because that's why we're all here. And uh, the, the conversation leads in many areas, including science fiction and science fact. And we run down two stories from each topic every week. Then we do our picks of the week and ask the question of the week. And then we do the sponsor of the week and comments of the week. And then we do the final thoughts of the week. All that right here on this podcast. And more. Am I missing anything? Ooh. No. No. But isn't that, you're the radio dude. Isn't that something that you're supposed to say? Like, blah, 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 and more. And much, much more right here on the Time Traveling Robots in Space podcast. You're supposed to talk with a smile on your face, and that shows through in the audio that you're projecting. You know, they told me that (laughs) at my first job, answering notes. (laughs) (laughs) That was... was I sounded extra happy when I answered phones. 
Well, Great. see, see, proves it right there. Proves it right there. All right, so let's move on with things. Um, for our Spreecast.com viewers, go ahead and uh, throw us some bones, throw us some questions throughout the show. Questions or comments, we'll include it. Also, if for our audio subscribers, if you would like to see us record the show live, we stream it on Spreecast.com. So just follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+, and you'll be notified. Also, one more thing before we get underway, we would like to remind you that you can purchase live reads from us to have on during the show. They're like a commercial, a sponsorship. For only $10, go to galacticnetcasts.com slash advertise. Fill out a short form, submit your payment through PayPal, and we'll read your message on both the time-traveling robots in space and the Alien Invasion podcast. So let's get things going here. Sector 1, time travel. All right. On Tuesday, Boing Boing Millet. Have you guys heard of Ronald Millet before? No. I have not. Okay. Neither had I until I read this. Uh, he is a guy who says time travel is possible. In fact, in 2006, Millet predicted that time travel would be figured out within a decade. So we got a few years left to go before that happens. The reason for his post on Boing Boing is because Millet is profiled in the first episode of a new web series called Epiphany, a daily video about big ideas taken from interviews with journalists, tech thinkers, scientists, and more. <laughs> in the video, Millet explains Einstein's general theory of relativity, including how you can time travel into the future by going faster, and the fact that gravity affects time as well. I did not know that. I did not know that Gra gravity affects time, um, time dilation, as they say. And the reason they figured that out was when they first put GPS systems, you know, the satellites, uh, there was time difference between the sa time on the satellite and time on the ground, and that affected the accuracy of GPS. So uh, that's how they figured that out. And actually, that's something that Einstein also, that was part of his general theory of relativity. Um, he also posits the theory that the universe, if the universe is rotating, time travels in loops, and that could make possible going back in time as well. So this guy is convinced, this, uh, this doctor, this uh, theoretical physicist, Ronald Millet, is convinced that time travel is possible, and we'll figure it out. Uh, let's see, 10 years from 2006 would be 2016, right? Am I doing the math right? I met, your math checks out. Okay. <laughs> so it was so hard to figure out. Um, along with Millette, so far the series also includes clips from interviews with Reddit founder Alexis Ohanian, Ohanian and filmmaker Jason Silva. So check it out. We will put the link in the show notes, and Anessa put it up in the lower third of the video. So uh, interesting stuff. What do you guys think? I want to say that he's very optimistic in thinking that we would have time travel figured out within 10 years from 2006. Because, um, I don't know. It just seems like something that would take even longer to figure out when you're factoring in space and time and gravity. and Like, how would you actually travel? Like, by what means? Yeah. What method? Like, would there be sort of... Ridiculous amount of energy. 
yeah. probably more than this planet can produce. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. So it's. I really got sucked into this article, though. Uh, when I when I was when I was reading it, I really got sucked into this article, just thinking about. I know it's just a little bit. I know it's not very much, but just going faster, you're going into the future. Like you're, they did that whole thing with the atomic clocks, where and me and Paul talked about this on an earlier episode of Tris, uh, where they put mm. they put the atomic clock in the airplane in like just a regular passenger jet airplane, and one on the ground, and the one in the airplane was faster because was it faster or did it slow down? I forget how which way it went. You're going into the future. What is the theory? Yeah, you're going into the... It's going faster, right? If you're going... In what way? I missed what you're trying to say. Like, if you are traveling at super speed? Yeah. Yeah. If if you're traveling at super speed, then everything... Everything from your perspective will be slower. Okay. So, who's going to be in the future? The person on the ground or the person traveling that speed? For everybody else, it will be a normal amount of time. For you, it will be obviously only a few, you know, however many moments. Okay. So in theory, you would be such and such time younger than everybody else. Oh, that's why they... That's the way you want to put it. That's why they say if you go to a distant planet and come back again... A bunch of time will pass on Earth, but hardly, not nearly as much will go will pass for you. Right. That that's the theory. And in fact, they even studied this. I forget which study it was. I'll have to look this up later. But they actually figured out that you, depending on how high you are, like altitude, you're actually moving at a very marginal pace faster than everybody else because you are further away from the center of the Earth. So you actually are gaining like, you know, a fraction of a millisecond throughout your lifetime. Wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> because not... you're traveling that much faster. Wow, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mike posits a question in, in the chat room. Uh, what if in the future our conscious consciousness will be housed in robots like rental cars? I want to go back 20 years... And I have to use a shell to take care of eliminating my late DMV fees in the robot husk. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Interesting use case. <laughs> I feel as though this has a recent uh, application. As in, you wish this was something that existed right now to take to take care of a current problem you might be having. Yeah, I th- it sounds it sounds <laughs> like Mike. This is a recent issue, um, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. And and I'm sure that time feels like it slows down when you're in the DMV too. I know I've, I know I've experienced that as well. So they the physicist physicists around the world should study that. That should be studied. Yeah, definitely. Time in the DMV. Yes. All right, Paul, uh, what do you got for us as far as uh, time travel yes, goes? Luc Besson is a Frenchman. Those crazy French people. You may know him from such films as The Fifth Element. He directed, I believe he directed, if I remember. I know he produced it at the very least. And he also, probably his, I guess, his uh, seminal work was The Professional. 
but the rumor is that he is developing a uh, time travel comic into a film. And it, supposedly it's in the, so- in the style of The Fifth Element. If anyone who's everyone who's seen it has a familiar with that at all, uh, have either of you guys seen that film? Yes, number of times. Yes. Yeah, it's it it kind of I don't know. I found that film itself to be kind of divisive. You either really you either really like it or you really don't. I don't. I rarely find anybody that is just kind of like eh, Fifth Element. It's okay, whatever. <laughs> eh. Not that big a deal. But anyway, recently he was he produced the lockout film with uh, with uh, what who's a person whose name escapes me, um, the about the diehard in space, if you recall, Dave. It was our yeah analogy. yeah it was it was one that we were kind of excited to go see, but neither of us went to it. I think, right? Well, it's on. Yeah, well, you can rent it now. So I'm I, that's actually on my list. Oh, Hopefully, cool. I'll get to see it this weekend or sometime yeah. soon. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But anyway, um, Besson, he is, again, French, is set to write and direct an English-language adaptation of Valerian, a uh, comic book about a hero who travels through time and space. Um, I don't know much about Valerian, but I did a little digging, and apparently it's kind of a big deal to a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of European countries. Like it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of a, I, I guess for lack of a better word, it's kind of like their Batman for Americans. Oh whoa, <laughs> I had no idea that there was like European specific comics that were really big like that. Yeah, so any the I guess the I guess the sort of um, style is a sort of mashup between Doctor Who and James Bond. So it's kind of like you know secret agent style and kind of kind of themes, and you have the you have the very good looking and suave protagonist, and you have the very sexy partner sidekick who's uh, I think her name is Lorene, and they go on missions throughout space and time. <laughs> so this, anyway. that's that does sound very Doctor Whoish, doesn't it? Like you have the guy and the companion. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, people are really excited about this. I believe this was announced at Comic Con, um, but I, you know, I, I think his work is pretty good overall. So I'm looking forward to it. And if you have the same kind of art style, that's the that's the rumor anyway. The artist is uh, the one of the one of the artist co-creators is Jean Claude. How do you pronounce that? Naziris? Van Damme. I know that's not how you pronounce it because it's French. I have no idea. <laughs> Anyway, he did also did the concept art for The Fifth Element. And if you do a quick Google search on that, you'll see some pretty impressive stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think it looks, at least in concept, it looks like a really neat idea that might turn into something uh, very entertaining. Cool. Yeah, they announced a lot of stuff at Comic-Con. Yeah. It was really hard to keep up with everything that they announced. Yeah, it was... It was, it was, it was as usual. It was quite the event. Of course, it's not about comics. It's about film generally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So, did you see anything interesting, Anessa, at Comic Con that bears uh, bears mentioning here on the podcast? Um, you know, honestly, 
probably out of everyone here, I didn't pay as much attention to Comic Con. Um, I was off doing other things. <laughs> oh, wait a second! Outside the apartment. Wait so. a second! You that have sounds a, so exciting. You have a life, Vanessa. You actually go outside of your apartment. That's crazy. Once in a great while, I feel the urge to go outside and roam amongst the day dwellers. The d- <laughs> As opposed to the night walkers. <laughs> the day dwellers. Yeah. <laughs> I would be more of a night walker, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm 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 happy for you. <laughs> I saw, let's see, what was the most interesting thing that I saw that came out of Comic-Con? I think the uh the Man of Steel stuff that they that they announced. I have yet to see the clip. I don't think they've made the clip available yet. But they described the clip of Man of Steel. Looks pretty interesting. And I'm trying to remember the rest. Oh, the Robert Downey Jr. made a surprise visit during an Iron Man costume contest with a bunch of kids. And I don't know about you guys, but Robert Downey Jr. has become Tony Stark for me. It's hardly, it's very indistinguishable between the two. They they act so much the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know if... If Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark or Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr., but the two are really hard to tell apart. Well, they also have um, similarities as far as like their characteristics and the comic or movies and yeah. then real life as far as dealing with his addictions and alcohol and whatnot and then getting back on his feet. Yeah. Succeeding. So they're kind of one of answer the your, In answer to your question, um, they didn't change... Tommy Stark's character to fit Robert, Robert Downey Jr. So I think that was just a result of really good casting. Yeah. I, I mean, they just can't, pretty much nailed it. Okay. All right. I was just checking. Okay. Uh, so there we go. That is time travel. Complete. Uh, before we move on to robots, um, we would like to um, get your feedback. We want to hear what you said, what you think about uh, the stuff that we've talked about, either so far, or what we're going to talk about. See, you can look into the future. You can do some time traveling and tell us what you think about what we're going to talk about next. Try really hard to go into the future and figure that out. And then email us, galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. You can call our voicemail number, 805-328-3966. Or uh, we've got a forum section on the website as well, galacticnetcasts.com. And we would love to hear what you thought or what, you're, what you thought about what we've talked about so far or what we're about to talk about, which is robots. And this is the thing I'm supposed to play right here. All right. So, Anessa, I want you to read the disclaimer to the story. Can you do that for me? Sure. The following story is not necessarily robot related, but is more along the live, along the lines of cybernetic technology. Thank you, I appreciate that. All right, so we've talked about—I don't know if, if us three have talked about it, but I've had discussions with people talking about Project Glass from Google, and some people are really excited about it, and that's supposed to be made available in the next couple of years. Now, this story may temper your enthusiasm, and you may have seen this this past week. A Canadian man wearing similar eyewear was physically attacked 
when someone in uh, a McDonald's tried to rip this thing, this device, off his face or off his head. Uh, Steve Mann, a Toronto, Canada resident, blogged on Monday that the incident occurred on July 1st at a Paris, France McDonald's. After ordering his food, the attacker um, angrily grabbed my eyeglass and tried to pull it off my head, Mann wrote. Mann notes that the eyeglass is permanently attached to his skull and does not come off without special tools. This is permanently attached to his skull. He's a cyborg. His mind is blown. <laughs> He's a cyborg. He's a Borg. Pretty much. Resistance is futile. Uh, since the device <laughs> man was wearing was still taking pictures, he published images of the incident with the attacker's face blotted out. Man, an inventor, claims he has worn a computer vision system, that's what he calls it, for 34 years, and that he originally created the technology to help people see better. And he's got a bunch of pictures on his website, or it's either on his website or on his Wikipedia page, showing various versions of this contraption. To address fears that the device might be used for spying or other purposes, Mann says he carries a doctor's note, which he produced at the restaurant when an, when an employee asked about his eyewear. Things went awry after that, though, as Mann writes. Subsequently, another person within McDonald's physically assaulted me. Mann then showed the doctor's letter, and the attacker and two others reviewed it. One of the men then ripped up the letter, and the initial attacker pushed Mann out onto the street. Man is the author of a book called Cyborg, Digital Destiny, and Human Possibility in the Age of Wearable Computer. So people may literally go kicking and screaming into the singularity is what I came, is the conclusion I came to after reading this story. What do you guys think? I think it's kind of bizarre that people would try to like rip off these glasses, whether or not they're attached to someone's skull. Um, I think it's kind of a bold move. And if they really wanted, if it had something to do with getting pictures taken of the McDonald's, because I know that they have privacy laws and whatnot, uh, different from what we have here in the States or probably Canada, um, I think they could have handled it better if they were indeed affiliated or associated with McDonald's. They could have said, excuse me, sir, can you go ahead and leave? We'd like you to not be here and take pictures. So, rather than trying to grab something. Was that the reason? Um. That was that. I, I was confused. Like when I read this, I was confused as to why they would care. Like what contraption the guy has on his head. I mean, hey, you know, I, I, I mean, not not to besmirch McDonald's. You know, hey, McDonald's. I know you're listening. You should sponsor us. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I, I what? <laughs> why do you, McDonald's is not known for its sanity of clientele. So you know, I go to my friendly neighborhood. Glendalian McDonald's, I and I see some dude with some thing sticking out of his eye. I, I guess on the one hand I'd be surprised, but on the other hand I don't think my first reaction would be to, you know, try to remove it. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea, but I don't know. Like some countries have privacy laws about taking pictures out inside public places, possibly. So huh. I know. 
like even just with malls here in the state, some of them, the security guard sees you taking a picture of kids by the fountain or you know, your significant others. They'll walk up to you and tell you to put away your camera. But um, at least they have in the past. Of course, with cell phones, it's a bit harder to. Yeah, I um, I believe it is a privacy issue, and the suspicion is that these other people worked for McDonald's, but they didn't say that they worked for McDonald's. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like the the muscle for the for this restaurant. I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> In the shady part of the town bouncers. where you need muscles at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And I don't think a normal citizen would be freaked out by this, even though I don't know if you guys saw the picture, but that his eye, his I, th- I believe his left eye is the actual lens from the camera. It's it's not like the Google Glass where it's up ahead or up above your eye a little bit and to your left or to your right. It's actually in the center of your eye. So he right. looks he looks like a freaking Borg. He looks like one of the Borg from Star Trek. He does. <laughs> and it looks rather creepy. I mean, if you see the guy, it looks just kind of like, yeah, it looks like he replaced his eye with a camera is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. This guy is, I think this guy's got a couple of screws loose. To, to have this stuff attached to his skull, I mean, yeah. he's, he's been wearing this stuff around. I heard about this guy like f- five years ago. He's been wearing it around for like 34, a different version of this for 34 years. I assume he has some sort of visual impairment in his left eye. No, he doesn't. He does this. He doesn't? See, again, yeah, see, that assumes yeah, then it would be that there's weird. some logical conclusion <laughs> that he's coming to. Like, it, you know, some rational motive. Yeah, I think he's just... He wants to be cool. He wants to be the first cyborg I think, guy. Yeah, I think he's doing this maybe. He's doing this as a study, like a, a social study of some kind, and also to actually develop the technology. I'm sure that Google has looked at this guy's work a little bit to see how he's done it. You have to think that, he, that they've, they've looked at what he's done so far. Yeah, maybe. I mean... I would imagine that anyone in that particular industry is always like in wondering about what some dude in his garage is going to come up with. So, okay, here's a thought. You know, we always assume that it's the giant corporations that are going to make Cyberdyne. What we haven't thought of is this is going to be freaking created in somebody's garage and eventually take over the world. Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, huh? Exactly. Huh? And they're going to self-replicate and just grow uncontrollably. All right, so that's pretty creepy, Paul, but I believe that you have something even creepier than what I just talked about. This is, in my mind, the Creepy Robot Award winner of the week. Uh, again, from the same site, Mashable. Uh, the new quote-unquote face robot can express a range of human emotions that go beyond expressing happiness and sadness to show disgust and amazement, among other expressions. It can easily adjust the intensity of the emotion displayed on a sliding scale. Uh, again, very visual, but folks, you should check this out because it's weird. <laughs> and again, we're getting—it's—we're still at that point in the curve 
that is discussed in the is discussed in the video. The point in the curve where robots are still looking strange to us. We're still at that point, but there's a little tip that I think we're starting to move up past that. I think it's just ever so slightly we're starting to get to that era where it's like it they're beginning to look normal. And, you know, people probably have different opinions about that, but yeah, uh, it's it's kind of it's definitely creepy, but it's bordering on not creepy if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's did you did you mention the word uncanny valley? Is that something that you mention in the story? Uh, I did not. I'm not specifically, but in, in the video, it's a it, it's mentioned that way. So in the uncanny valley, if anyone who's not familiar with, it's pretty much what I just described, where you are, you know, where you see a robot, or you know, in what in some form or another. Basically, like uh, they used the example of that um, uh, that animated movie a while back, the Christmas one, Polar Express. They use that as an example of one of those things that looks like it's almost too realistic, so it starts to look weird. Uh, because it's not you're expecting something different out of your media. So in the same way, the robot is looks almost too right, if that makes sense. But once we get past that, like it, to at actually looking more and more quote unquote real, then it will look indistinguishable from the rest of us. And that's the uncanny valley. In a nutshell. It's kind of very similar to the whole singularity theory in a way because what it is it's similar concepts sure because once we get to that point of not being able to figure out whether somebody is an android a robot or a human that's to the point where that technology gets so prevalent that it's indistinguishable between a human and a robot I just repeated to myself. Sorry. I understand. I understand you, Dave. So anyway, the robot relies on 32 years on its face versus the approximate 52 uh, in a human face. So there's all these little gears that are all adjusting to fake human emotion. So if you look at this thing, it's trying to... It not only is it just have, you know, sort of rote expressions like, oh, this is your sad face. This is your happy face. It there's progressions. So they mention like this is happy with a slight hint of surprise. And uh, yeah, again, very creepy and must be seen. You're right about that whole being freaked out that it's human looking, but not quite human looking. It's like, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're not a robot, at least at, at least in the real definition. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, like, what, you're a, what are you? And you know what? When they, okay, when that thing has consciousness and it's become self-aware, it's going to ask the same freaking question. Mm-hmm. What am I? And yep. nobody's going to know the yeah. answer. Yeah. And it's going to freak out and that's going to inspire a blood. Yep. And you know what? That's one of the reasons why I have a hard time watching that AI movie. Because that kid goes to that whole thing of, oh. you know, am I real or am I, you know, a robot or an android or whatever. That that kind of 
kind of hits me, not hits me, kind of um, upsets me a little bit, kind of. Well, it really, it really posits a lot of metaphysical questions. Like, you know, the nature of what it is to be and like all this philosophical stuff that I'm sure most people don't want to hear about. But yeah, it's a lot of people, you know, I've heard the argument made that it's not real because we're making, we're fabricating it. You know, this is just us. This is a product of our, you know, of our own making. So obviously it doesn't have a soul. But when that argument just generally doesn't hold up because guess what? People have babies, and that is a product of what we are doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of it's, yeah, it's a thin, so it's a it's thin kind line. Of, yep. All right. Any final thoughts before we move on, Anessa? You want to add anything? I have nothing to add. Okay, you're just Google face are robot. You, are you totally freaked out by this this face? These faces? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, normally, like, when you think of something having a, or, like, a robot having the facial expression, it's something that's clearly happy or sad, not just with hints of things or transitions between one expression to the other. So I'd imagine it's that. And I would imagine, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but, um, for the video... But I would imagine their eyes would also be kind of like blank at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's like you still have like these yeah. facial expressions, but without any sort of emotion coming through the eyes. So yeah, it's creepy. That's why they haven't ever been able to successfully CG a human to look exactly like a human because the eyes, the eyes are really, really hard to recreate. The human eyes with, with that, with that, hint of humanity is really really hard to pull off all right so. we have of what, what, huh, huh, we'll get to that. we'll get to that okay all right uh we've got space coming up but first we want to thank our sponsor of the time traveling robots in space audible.com for you the galactic netcast listener Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check out their service. To go along with the theme of this podcast, may we suggest, you guys are going to love this, Red Shirts, a novel with three codas by John uh, Scalzi, narrated by Will Wheaton. Have you guys heard about this book? I have heard about it, and it's on my list. All right, cool. (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit more about it. Ensign Andrew Dahl has just been assigned to the Universal Union Capital Ship Intrepid, flagship of the Universal Union since the year 2456. It's a prestige posting, and Andrew is thrilled all the more to be assigned to the ship's xenobiology laboratory. Life couldn't be better until Andrew begins to pick up on the fact that, one, Every away mission involves some kind of lethal confrontation with alien forces. Number two, the, cap- the ship's captain, its chief science officer, and the handsome Lieutenant Kerensky always survive these con- confrontations. And three, 
At least one lower-ranked crew member is sadly always killed. Sound familiar from Star Trek? Uh, not surprisingly, a great deal of energy below decks is expended on avoiding, at all costs, being assigned on an away mission. Then Andrew stumbles on information that completely transforms his and his colleagues' understanding of what the Starship Intrepid really is and offers them a crazy, high-risk chance to save their own lives. So check out Red Shirts, a novel with three codas, on Audible for free, or take any pick. Just go to audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts, audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts, and we thank Audible for their support of the time-traveling robots in space. See, I thought that this was a movie directly about Star Trek, but it's more of an, a movie or a, a book inspired by Star Trek. The whole red shirt phenomenon. That's what it's really about. Okay. All right, moving Very on. Cool. Let's talk about little spacey stuff here. Space. All right, a promotional video for M. Night Shyamalan's next film, After Earth, was released onto the internet and was debuted at Comic-Con over the weekend, taking a fresh, fresh approach by telling the movie's prehistory by using the Facebook timeline feature. Being released next summer, After Earth stars Will Smith, who plays a battle-worn general attempting to reconnect with his son, Jaden Smith, so it's, it's an actual real-life father and son. During a journey together, an asteroid storm destroys the spacecraft they're traveling in, leaving the elder character near dead and the kid scavenging a hostile and primordial Earth. However, our planet is not as we know it because it's been left abandoned for thousands of years following a mass evacuation. You can read more about the very complicated backstory of After Earth at io9.com, including why Earth was abandoned and what happened to the human race after that. Um, And here's a little bit something what happens after that. After the end of the 21st century, global warming has affected the core of the Earth, and the core then affected the magnetic fields that protect humanity from solar radiation. This is the scientific reasoning as to why humanity performs a mass exodus around the year 2060. After Earth marks the first time director M. Night Shyamalan is shooting a script he did not conceive himself, with the director working on a revised draft of an original script by Gary Whitta, who wrote The Book of Eli. So again, check out the crazy behind-the-scenes kind of um, backstory to After Earth on that IO9 article. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes along with the podcast. So is this something that you guys would be interested in seeing next year when it's in theaters? I think this is something that would bug me, honestly. Uh, <laughs> because how hot did the Earth... Well, I mean, I guess not even... Even if it wasn't M. Night Shyamalan that was doing the movie, it would still bug me because they're saying global warming affected the core of the Earth. How hot exactly did the Earth get? I mean, were we at 
Venus level temperatures, we were 855 degrees on a con consistent basis, at which point we had evacuated long before that anyway. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, and it really bothers me as a geographer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of all the things, that's what, like, bothers me. <laughs> no, no. But, but so, okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I could see it. I mean, I could... I sat through the core, and that was pretty ridiculous. It's whatever. But for something... Uh -huh. For, for something above the surface to affect the Earth's core, it would have to be something really extreme, and I don't even know at what point that it would actually affect it. <laughs> but, you know, really... It makes no sense. When do they ever get the science right in films? The science is never right in films. It's, it's never right, but if you notice, there's been this trend in television and movies where they actually bring on physicists to help at least yeah, have some sort of validity to like their their thought process. Even if the whole not everything is realistic, there's at least some sort of seed of truth behind it. Mm hmm So Yeah, they did that with <laughs> they did that with Prometheus. They had these science experts to create that that alien planet that they ended up on. They made it more realistic than somebody might have, you know, 20 years ago trying to make an alien planet. Or Star Trek in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, you know what? This movie... Okay. That's my thought on the <laughs> I'm concerned... Okay, aside from all the science stuff, which you're, you're concerned with, Anessa, I'm, I'm, want, I'm worried that this is going to be a failure if they put too much attention on this whole backstory because reading the io9 article it's kind of complicated i mean they they lay out this whole history of what happened to humanity between the time they left earth and the and the time that will smith and his kid crash land back on earth a thousand years later it's a lot of like his family like uh goes back uh, actually the story of of his family starts in like 1909 and his um his what do you call him um <laughs> the people that came before him what's that word i'm looking for people help me out predecessors yes his predecessors predecessors um came up with some technology yeah came up with some kind of technology that advanced civilization on earth and they go into that and then they go into how that relative was originally from Europe, but why is why does Will Smith, his character, look African American? But then they they explain how over thousands of years, you know, the uh, the races mix and they become different. You know, it seems like they're putting too much emphasis on this other this whole backstory, to me at least. Maybe. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you my impression. I've been following Gary Whitta, who wrote the script. For a while, um, first of all, Book of Eli is awesome. I really enjoyed that movie, especially like maybe, maybe, maybe not so much from a direction standpoint, from definitely from a writing standpoint. I thought it was really good. Um, and he, this is kind of his genre. He loves the post-apocalyptic kind of deal, and I, I have not been, I haven't been disappointed by his penmanship yet, and. One other point to be made here is that M. Night Shyamalan, this is not a movie that he is 
uh, writing. He's just directing it. So I actually think this could actually, I, I do think this will turn out to be a good movie. And I'll give it a shot for sure. Just based on the, just based on the fact that it was written by Gary Whitta. From what I read, it sounds like Will Smith has a lot of control. Like it sounds like Will Smith almost has more control over this than M. Night Shyamalan does. Uh, that could be for better or for ill. Yeah, no. I don't know. That's, it's a crapshoot. Depending we'll, on your perspective. I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, people thought that a lot of movies yeah. were going to be good until they saw it in theater and went, eh, not so much. So I guess we'll see. Sure. Sure. There yeah, this plenty. seems like I mean, a movie that I would pull it out of red box or go <laughs> see at the dollar theater. I don't know that I'd want to spend a full $8 on... <laughs> it's a good rating on, on something that it's a good rating to have is it a red box worthy movie or a theater movie <laughs> all right so True. everybody makes those distinctions now yeah all right so we'll see what happens um paul we, we should move on because you my friend have two stories i have three. Oh crap <laughs> wow okay three. nice they're all very brief. They're all kind of one-offs, but I figured all of them together would actually make mo- a bit more sense. Two of them have to do with one Rich- Sir Richard Branson, the famed Virgin Airlines enthusiast slash space cadet slash wants to do everything on the freaking planet and then some. Uh, he has developed a way to, or at least he wants to develop a way to put cargo into space. And he's trying to do it efficiently. So what he's trying to do, he's he has this thing called Launcher One, and it's supposedly to be set. And it's supposed to be the idea is to send satellites into space by 2016. And apparently, it's supposed to be cheap because he can say he says that he can carry up to 500 pounds and cost under 10 million. So uh, apparently, that's cheap. I hope so. <laughs> you know, for if you have 10 million just burning a hole in your pocket, then you can you know in 2016 you can call up. Sir Richard and say, I want to launch a freaking satellite. You can do that. Yeah, it's uh, the launcher one is based on his spaceship one. It's pretty much the same concept. It's just instead of launching people into orbit, it's launching cargo into orbit. Right. It's launching stuff. Presumably satellites, but I guess who knows? You know, maybe you just want to launch like trash into space. Who? Or or late or deadly late or deadly lasers to kill us all. Absolutely, I guess that's kind of like a satellite, isn't it? Like when you have to like attach it to a satellite. And, yeah, you would. You know, yeah. Do like the well, whole James Bond thing. Actually, or send it into its own circle. orbit around the Earth. Full full circle. There was a similar arc in. Oh. Uh, can't believe it. One of the freaking um, Pierce, Bro- Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies. Giant satellite in space. Richard Branson. Bat- it turns out to be the bad guy, and you know shoots lasers down at people. And I'm, I forget. I freaking forget. It might be the world is not enough. I think it is. That's interesting. I'm not making any sense. Does no. anybody have any idea what I'm talking no, about? No, I I don't remember that, but I may, <laughs> I, I may go on a on a James Bond kick because. I, that James Bond is, is, has come up in conversations on a regular basis lately, and I'm thinking about rewatching some of those movies. 
Yeah. It's essentially, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the world is not enough, but you have a very Branton-esque person. Like, he came to one press event having jumped out of a plane. Like, he parachuted down and did a press event with the friggin' parachute still on him. So, yes, he is Richard Branson. <laughs> Richard Branson is very cartoonish in the way he is. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I think if I if it was a toss-up between Richard Branson and Sir, Sergey Brin, I think I would pick Sergey Brin. He seems a lot cooler than Richard Branson. Well... We can find this out, actually, because in our next story, Richard Branson has also announced that he uh, scheduled the departure for the first Virgin Atlantic space flight. And this is supposedly supposed to happen sometime in 2013 with his daughter and son beside him. And if you have $200,000 to burn a hole in your pocket, you can have the opportunity to join him. Wait, okay. Okay, wait, 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 wait a second. Five dollars. <laughs> yeah, let's go to the casi- let's go to the casino and and, get, and move that up a little bit, Vanessa. No, okay. I'm doing the math here, and for the cargo, uh-huh. it's five hundred pounds for ten million dollars. Now, if you're a human being, yes, it's only two hundred thousand pounds or two hundred thousand dollars. For an average human, probably about 200 pounds. So the math is not really working out too well there. Uh, you know what? I, I would assume that it would be more difficult to put a human into space as cargo needs like, you know, I would I would imagine that cargo needs less. Um, yeah. So, but the, the AP reports that more than 500 people have already signed up to go on board the spacecraft. And... Um, a seat on the flight will require a week-long training course mm-hmm. in addition to the price tag. So just re- just bear that in mind. <laughs> if, you know, anyone who's considering this, you need, you know, you know, you need $200,000 and you need to take a course, a yeah, week-long course. If you're going to spend $200,000, <laughs> I think the week's worth of training is worth it. I mean, it's, it's part of the package. If you're spending that much money oh, sure. and you're going into space... I think it's worth an, a week of training. I would totally okay. do the week of training just to go into space if I have the $200,000. I, you know what? I would think that a lot of celebrities and just people of note are going to go with this in droves. Like, you're going to hear about all these people who are going to try and do this thing. Like, you know, all the cele- typical people like celebrities or, you know, CEOs who just can't hack it. Yeah. I bet you, okay, I bet you there's some Silicon Valley people on this list and Jay-Z. I bet you Jay-Z is on this list. Do you think Jay-Z is interested in space? Is this, is this his secret sin? Yes. Don't you think? Well, while Beyonce stays home with Blue Ivy. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the yeah. name is. Exactly. I'm almost afraid to ask, but what, your, what, is your, what is the vision in your head of how that conversation is going to go down? <laughs> You're doing what? You're this going is where? Dave in trouble. <laughs> well, okay. Let's assume. Let's uh, think about this in your head. What is the conversation Mr. Z has to have with Beyonce? You know, when she, when he says, "I want to go into space." Yo, <laughs> what do you think <laughs> is going to happen? 
<laughs> and feel free to use whatever stereotypes you like. Well, I think, I think, I think, I think the person that would win that argument is the person in the household that has made the most money. I mean, who who's made the most money? Jay's, I don't know because they both made a, a lot of money. Yeah, they've made. Uh, uh, they're both. I mean, yeah, they're both pretty big. It's not like her career has overpowered his career because he also has that whole record company and whatnot going on too. So yeah, he's getting money from all sorts of places. So <laughs> it's it's not like Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey. <laughs> <laughs> Totally not the same. Uh, yeah, they could hardly... Well, I guess we have their t- show title. Yeah, uh, the show title is going to be Jay-Z in Space. I've decided already. Oh, <laughs> I, I want to go to space, yo. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we, can, we can change it. We can talk about it. I want to go to space, yo. I'll write that down. <laughs> yo, yiggity, yo. Uh, and for our final space story, and I, I apologize if I'm monopolizing the time here. Uh, NASA is... They wanted to drum up excitement about their uh, about the about their recent endeavors with SpaceX and whatnot. So they decided to come up with a video game, a downloadable video game, in which you will control the Mar. You were simulating the ro- Mar uh, a rover landing on Mars. So that's that is what they are. That is the attempt that they are making, and uh, supposedly it's free. I haven't tried this yet. And yeah, it's a you're using the Kinect controller mm-hmm. in order to actually simulate this. So if, if for anyone who out, out there who doesn't know what Kinect is, it's essentially motion control using your body in order to control this thing, whatever it is on the screen that you want to control. So yeah, um, apparently that's the most stressful part, and I guess that's why they wanted to use it. They call it the seven minutes of terror, mm-hmm. which is the entry in which something lands onto a you know a, a surface. So you know the seven minutes of terror would be you know you coming your approach as and, it were, and when you actually land. And another reason why it's called seven minutes of terror is because they are out of touch with it for seven minutes. They have no idea what's going on. That's another reason. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Right, they lose connection, so it's kind of like, yeah, cross your fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> well, okay, I want to talk That's about cool. this. I have, I have a whole thing about this. I, I, I think it's awesome how NASA is packaging this whole deal because have you guys seen the video? It kind of looks like a movie trailer. I did see the video. It looks, it's very movie trailer-ish the way it's, it's presented. And now with video game, it sounds like NASA is finally getting marketing. Like they're they're figuring out how to market this stuff because this this NASA uh, Curiosity rover just feels like a movie. It feels like a big blockbuster movie the way they've marketed the whole thing. Okay. Okay. See. Okay. Now this this introduces a very interesting gaming theory question. I guess you could call it, and that. For a person sitting in your living room, trying to simulate that level of fear is not always easy. Like, especially when you're talking about something that, you know, people in that video game market have been oversaturated with all kinds of, you know, you know, over-the-top action and violence and, you know, whatever else. So I'm curious to see if the quote-unquote authentic feel of this whole thing is enough 
to get people excited about it and enough to actually get people to play it while not being bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, from what I saw of it, it's very much you have to... You're, you're moving around the, the spacecraft and you have to fit it within a square. You have to, it's a lot of spatial thing. It's a lot of spatial. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the next word I'm looking for is. Spatial. You got to figure out. It's spatial, man. <laughs> I'm dumb. I'm so dumb. Spatial. We're talking about space, Dave. This is spatial. Yeah, it's spatial. spatial. Time. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Now you got to check out the video because I think the We're video really, the video really explains it all. It 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 shows how it's done, how the video game is done, and I, everybody needs to go check it out. Mm-hmm. And if you're a gamer like Paul, you need to be playing it right now. It's free, free. I don't have a connect though. Oh, sadness. I hopefully I I should I should see if it's available for non-connect things. Brad can play okay. it. Yeah, Brad's got to connect. I don't have a connection. That'd be a great thing to videotape. Just saying. Put it on Galactic Netcast. Hey, this is Brad playing the NASA game. <laughs> yeah, Brad, totally do that. You should totally do that. Get the get the game, play it, videotape it, and then and then we can upload it and we can put it on the website. That'd be I would perfect. Be so freaking, I would be so entertained. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> it would be awesome. So it's decided then. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> Ideas We're giving we're giving things for Brad to do. It's that's awesome. No, I wanted to add one more thing about the whole marketing <laughs> thing about the whole marketing of this Curiosity Rover. Mm. Not only did they do the trailer for it, and they did now the video game, but they actually did a contest. For people to be at JPL during the landing, like there's like, and then there's there's viewing parties across the country too. So this is, like again, I want to go back to the whole. This feels like a movie, like it's a big, it's a it's a it's an event, you know. They're 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 figuring out what Hollywood had figured out a long time ago. Just, just saying. Just I, you know, get on them. Anything, anything at this point that will, you know, I guess increase NASA's marketability. Yeah, I, I would be all for it. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We are done with our three topics. Before we move on to our picks, do not forget that you can listen to Time Traveling Robots in Space and the other Galactic Netcast, the Alien Invasion, via Stitcher Smart Radio. It is an application that you install on your smartphone or your, like Paul recently got an iPhone. He can install the app on his iPhone. Or like me, I have the Galaxy S3. I can put the app on this phone. Or even Anessa's crappy Blackberry. (laughs) (laughs) You can put apps on that thing, right? Yeah, um... It depends on the app, so I haven't tried to put Stitcher on it. But nice, there it is. I, I at least have an iPad that I can put it on. Oh yeah, cool. That'll work. That going for me. That'll work on there too. All right, so not only on on those platforms, but it also you can put it on a Android tablet like tablet like the new Nexus Seven or the Nook. 
Uh, Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. You can find it in your app store or go to stitcher.com slash galactic netcasts. And please enter the promo code galactic netcasts. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Okay, let's do our picks. And I believe, Paul, you are going to be shocked and amazed by my pick. I'm just saying. So I will be. Hold on to something. I am. Hold, hold tight. And get ready for this pick, all right? <laughs> my pick is the trade paperback novel from the 2009, from 2009 called Atomic Robo Volume 1, Atomic Robo and the Fighting Scientists of Tesla Dine. Guess what it is? It's a comic book. Those it's a comic book. Those phrases have never been uttered. <laughs> I am reading a comic well book. Oh, Dave. Um, our our friend, Yay. our uh, uh, a regular listener or regular uh, viewer and listener to Galactic Netcasts, Corey, uh, who's not here unfortunately. He sent me a bunch of comic books, and that was one of them. So I was very excited about that. Um, it's a comic created by 8-Bit Theater writer Brian Clevenger and artist Scott Wegner, which was first published back in 2007 for Red 5 Comics. Um, and, and here's the synopsis of the story. In 1923, Nikola Tesla's career is in its twilight until he unveils a robot with automatic intelligence, Atomic Robo. After decades of dealing with all manner of weirdness, Atomic Robo and the so-called action scientists of Tesladyne uh, become the go-to defense force against the unexplained. Um, Robo takes on Nazis, giant ants, clockwork mummies. Clockwork mummies? I have no idea what that is. Walking pyramids, Mars... Cyborgs and his nemesis, Baron von Helsingard. In his first trade paperback graphic novel, this edition collects the hard to find, sold out debut issue of Atomic Robo number one through six, complete with cover gallery, pinups, concept sketches, and bonus stories. And here it is right here Atomic Robo. So yeah, I'm I'm only just started. I didn't I didn't finish it. He is about to take on the walking pyramids. So I'm very excited about that. So that is my pick of the week and uh, you can check it out on the pick page at galacticnetcast.com. Buy it through Amazon and you can help support Galactic Netcasts. So you guys shocked and amazed? I'm impressed I am with what I am. So you're both. Color me the impressed color. So Anessa, Anessa, did you say not or shocked? I said I am shocked. Oh, okay. All right. Now, if we could get you to watch a cartoon and do that as your pick, that would be even, like, that would add to the shock. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Anessa, one step at a time. One step at a time. I know. Baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah, exactly. What I liked about this comic was the robot has a personality, which I still haven't figured out how he's got a personality. And maybe they'll talk about that and further further into the book and further into the issues in this in this graphic novel. So 
Uh, that's what I like about it. He's very snarky. And uh, yeah, that's one of his endearing qualities. Atomic Robo. All right, Paul. Atomic Robo. Paul, what's your pick? What's Paul's pick? Yes, sir. I now see this is this is what I was discussing earlier. My pick today is Simone, the movie, the film starring Al Pacino. That is my pick. And uh, Dave, do you know what song is? Or know anything about it? No. Anessa, nobody. Wow. This is, okay. This actually makes a lot of sense. The whole thing about this movie was it kind of got, it was, I guess you could say quietly released. And it didn't, I mean, the budget for this movie was only about uh, $10 million. And uh, it was really just riding on its cast. But okay, let me tell you what Simone is. Simone is a virtual representation of an actor that they digitally input as a real person into films. So everybody, except for uh, Al Pacino's character, who plays a uh, Hollywood director, know, thinks that this person and only he knows that she is actually a computer that he has been simulating in all of these films. And, you know, hijinks ensue, I guess is the best way of saying it. So this kind of goes back, this kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier. How about the whole compu- computer-generated, right. it doesn't, they haven't quite mastered that technology yet, but in this film, they're, it, it's pretty close it's, to human-looking? That's the thing, is that, I mean, they, t- they touch on that. They're saying that, I mean, this has never been done before, but somebody finally figured it out, essentially, cracked it, and... Got to, was so good at it that people, it, she becomes actually quite beloved. Like because she is a hybrid of pretty much every famous actress that's ever lived, and it gets to the point the public is so obsessed with her that it becomes a much bigger challenge for him to be, <laughs> for him to keep the whole idea that she's a, actually a computer quiet. Interesting. I've, you know what? I, I've hardly ever yeah. heard of this movie. This looks interesting. I may have, I may have to check this right. out. It's, it's a decent movie. I liked it, and then, you know, of course, I, I'd recommend watching it. Um, it's, it, it's so. I think the reason people didn't really take a shine to it, it's such a departure from what Al Pacino's normal character is. Mm-hmm. Like he plays a pretty much kind of, not meek individual, but close. You know what I mean? Like he's just kind of passive, and he just kind of just does these things, and gets into gets into deeper and deeper trouble. Which uh, is, you know, of course, Al Pacino's normal persona is like this hardened person, regardless of who he, you know, what he's playing. That good guy, bad guy. He's always kind of like the, he's the edgiest one among the bunch. Now, this was directed by Andrew Nichol, who has a history of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. He has done Gattaca. He's done In Time, albeit that movie pretty much bombed. And he is doing The Host, that Stephanie Meyer book, turning that book into a movie, comes out next year. So the director, I'm impressed with the director's work. So yeah, go see it. It's it's worth the price of it's worth the price of admission. And again, to pull it to current events, 
you guys are familiar with that whole hologram thing that they did with Tupac? Yep. Yes. Like at uh, was Coachella, wherever it was Coachella, Coachella. or where, you know wherever, um, where they sort of digitally input him on the stage. They did that exact thing with this with, with this uh, with this film. They put her on stage for a concert because of course she has to be able to sing really well as well. But yeah, she is she. They put her up there and nobody knows the difference. Isn't there a Japanese group? like a female singing group that is all computer generated when they do concerts it's not it's not them live but it's just computer generated on stage I think so I don't I really have no idea but I think so That sounds about right I wouldn't be surprised Yeah those crazy Japanese <laughs> they're so far ahead of us All right <laughs> All right so one last pick Anessa what do you have Um, I actually have a short story, <laughs> but I, I, I discovered this website um, earlier today called 365 Tomorrow, and it's basically a website that has short stories that are posted each and every day, so 365 days a year they post a short story, and it started off in like 2005 with the goal of providing a new story every day, and um, they have... I guess like the same staff or people that post the short stories online that create them, uh, but they also post outside people that submit their stories if they think that, you know or they like them well enough. So uh, the story that I'm going to briefly talk about because it's a really short short story <laughs> is called On the Rail, and it was a submission by Cheryl A. Warner, and. Um, on the Rail is a short story um, about a criminal who is sentenced to death. And rather than the traditional lock them in a cell and wait a couple of years or so, and, and criminals that have been sentenced to death out in space to work on a rail system that goes to the moon. Oh, weird. So they're trying to build this huge rail that go to the moon. Um, and so the... The story itself is basically about what's going on in his head as he's nearing the end of his sentence and nearing the time of his death. So it's actually kind of, like I said, it's a really short, short story. So it would take you like less than five minutes to read, probably. (laughs) Wow, this website, this website's totally up your alley, Nessa. You're all about the short stories, and that's what this website's all about. <laughs> oh, many short stories. So, yeah, it's great. Does like now it. through his uh, <laughs> is the story told about this railway to the moon? Is it told through his memories of working on it? It's told through him basically like what he's thinking. So he's he talks about how what he did to get to where he is at that point in time, like he killed a couple of people. Um, and even though he, quote, didn't have the urge to kill anybody else after that, they still sentenced him to death. And so he um, talks about how when you're up there, the, I guess, the well-behaved people get a shorter sentence, which means they die quicker. And the people that don't behave very well end up having to work on the rail longer, I guess. Um, 
and then basically the the suit that he has to wear up there in space um, when it's time for him to die they take away his suit because that's what's feeding him the oxygen that he needs to live and they just kind of like let him float off into space wow so, and this is basically everything that's going on in yeah. his mind as he's dying basically that's so. harsh man <laughs> not as not as happy as the last short story I did. Yeah. But. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well. That's kind of gnarly right there. If you got five minutes. Send them off on the ice floe. I like it. If you got five minutes and want to be really depressed, then yeah. check out uh, On the Rail. <laughs> <laughs> so. Or less if you're a quick reader. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Great picks all all around. Um. I don't think um, we won't be able to do a Nessa's pick on the picks page, but we'll definitely put Simone and um, my comic will be up on the picks page at galacticnetcast.com. And don't forget, if you uh, buy stuff through our picks page, even if you just go through our page to get to Amazon, a portion of the proceeds will go to us, and that way you can help out the network, and we appreciate that. Also, while you're on the website... Don't forget to uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and then subscribe to uh, our podcasts, either the Time Traveling Robots in Space or the Mega Feed. Again, subscribe.galacticnetcasts.com. All right, we have one final piece of business. That is the question of the week. And, Paul, you were the one, you're the mastermind behind this one, so go ahead and ask it. Ladies and gentlemen, in shows... Set in the future, which outdated technological device is the most disruptive to your movie-watching experience? Here are your four choices. The fax machine, Back to the Future 2. The light and knob consoles from the original Enterprise. The fact that they still use paper on Battlestar Galactica, (laughs) which, you know, when you think about it, is really (laughs) wrong on multiple levels. Or... The outdated cell phones they have in the Matrix. Okay, before anybody answers this, can we please include a, an, an E for Anessa? Any, anything geological? Uh, ge- uh, <laughs> causes of the demise of the planet Earth? Can that be one of them? That can be your, that can be your caveat, Anessa. <laughs> we'll put that at the end. That'll be, we'll tack that it on. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Paul, what was your answer? What did you pick? My answer is the fax machine in Back to the Future 2. Not just for the fact that it's, you know, a freaking fax machine, but that it's in every room. Every <laughs> single room. You need to have a fax machine in every room. I ugh. The freaking closet, Dave. There's a fax machine in the closet. Why is there a fax machine in the closet? Why not have a fax yeah, machine? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis, fan of fax machines, maybe. I don't know. They well, they got a lot of stuff about the future right. wrong. They they got the the floating the anti gravity skateboards that hasn't happened yet. Well, it's not even imagine of them getting it right or wrong. It's them sort of taking a current technology and amplifying it mm-hmm. to what would seem a logical conclusion. Even though, but in my mind, that's like the fax machine, for example. 
is a really good choice for a piece of tech that they just didn't think outside of the box far enough. Yeah. They're like, okay, why would we need this fax machine at all? You know, if you're going to, yeah. Anyway. That happens often in science fiction films or films taken that take place in the future, that they always seem to not think far enough ahead. Okay. Which I guess which is a yeah. good which is a good segue into my answer. My answer is light and knob consoles on the original Enterprise. Now, if the stories were told today, <laughs> which it they are being told today with the two movies, um, touchscreens and gesture control would be the technology that they would use. But who the hell knows how long that stuff's going to last? Like we didn't see touch control. 10 years ago really we didn't right. we didn't figure that that would be the b- big thing so who the hell knows 20 years from now what's going to be the technology so we may look back at the movies and tv of today using touch screens and you know iPhones and that kind of stuff and go wow that stuff is really quaint what the hell were they thinking yeah you know one of these days man we're just going to have like stuff inside of us and we'll just like hear music in our head or some crap like that. Yeah. It's going to be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Anessa, what's your answer? <laughs> My answer is paper on the Battlestar Galactica. And it's not so much that there's paper on the Battlestar Galactica, it's that the paper doesn't have four distinct corners. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that society. always bothered me. It just seemed like very... No, it was excessive, maybe not excessive, but like wasted effort on trimming the corners off of the paper or creating a mold that didn't have all four corners rather than, you know, just straight lines. Um, and I guess the other thing, too, with, with paper in general or the concept of paper in futuristic type shows is the ones that use like the uh, transparencies that have stuff written on them. So we've got 10 pages, one on top of the other, and they're there reading it. I don't see how they can. If they can see through to the next page, it all just kind of jumbles together and it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, that would be paper. People have, people have better <laughs> eyes. ramble on, it's paper. People have better eyes in the future, so apparently that doesn't bother them. Apparently, yeah, apparently. not. <laughs> well, okay. No, Go- but yeah, paper on the Battlestar Galactica. Going back to BSG, because not only did they have paper, but they had old-timey telephones, too. They had a lot of old tech. Okay, telephones. Yeah, and they they did that they on did. Pur- they did that on purpose. Um, it was a weird combination of new technology or technology that we don't even have yet, and old technology that we don't have anymore. It was a weird confluence of things, you know. I don't know. Maybe Ron. Maybe Ron. I think it's a way to show that they're. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think it was probably a way that. They were showing the evolution of their technology was different from the way our technology evolved. So maybe phones didn't quite evolve as quickly as phones did here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, we are we are going super long here, so we should probably wrap it up. Uh, if you have an answer to the question of the week, we would love to know it. Call us, email us. Uh, the voicemail number is 805-328-3966. Or email galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. Before we wrap up, though, I have one thing I wanted to add. I am following um, on Twitter 
God, what is his name now? Shoot. Now that I brought it up, I forgot his name. The guy that invented RSS. I don't know. The guy that invented RSS and the guy who invented podcast. RSS feeds? Yeah, RSS feeds. Can you look that up real quick, Paul? Oh. David, Dave sure. Weiner? Yeah, Dave Weiner. Yes, yes. I, I sent him a tweet this week saying it would be an honor to have the guy who invented podcasting to check out our shows. And like five minutes later, he was following us on Twitter. So Dave, nice. if, if Dave, if you're listening to us, it's an honor that you are, if you are, because that, that's super cool. <laughs> and you know what? Screw you if you're not. So there, I said it. <laughs> God, way to oh, go. No, I am kidding. <laughs> Burn that bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Before it's even there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I, I kid. I kid. I kid a kid. All right. That's going to do it for this Time Traveling Robots in Space, episode number 39. Final thoughts, guys. Let's go around the room. Anessa. Paper should have four corners. <laughs> nice that's a good one I appreciate that be excellent to each other that's all right. what I said. All right, guys one we'll of these s- days I'll come up with something yeah it's good enough for now alright we'll see, see you guys later leave your hailing frequencies open and scanners on full because another galactic netcast will be approaching your coordinates soon for more information go to galacticnetcasts.com <laughs>